0: broken it up into three sections of teaching. Basically, because James is built up of these one-liners where it's like he just drops a bomb, and you're just left there to deal with it. You know, he's already said things like, uh, you know, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He talks about the fact that those who are powerful in this life, if they use their power for corrupt deeds, and they basically um, treat you or mistreat you, uh, you don't have to take vengeance on, your, on on that person yourself that God is ultimately going to set all things right. And so our our job as Christians is never to, uh, to even the score. Jesus evens the score. Uh, for those that come to him in humility and faith, the score is even because he took our punishment on himself for our behalf. But to those who um, are against him and rebellious and actually treat his people poorly and oppress them, He's going to set that thing right too, in judgment. We oftentimes look at Jesus and we see this, "Oh Jesus, He just gives everybody the other cheek, and, you know, and he did instruct us to do that. But I hear uh, one of uh, Ken Graves that I was just talking about. he actually talks about um, uh, Jesus. You have both sides. You have Mr. Rogers, and you have Mr. T. You know And, and Mr. Rogers is like this, seemingly just real calm and loving. Uh, But then Mr. T, at his second coming, he's going to come, and he's going to take out all of his enemies. And to those that have rejected his first coming, and meek and mild, and offering them salvation, and grace, and mercy, um, he gives them uh, the one-two punch. You know, he he does the elbow drop, and that they will bow the knee to him, whether or not they chose to or not. And so, um, he sets things right. We don't have to. But then in section... uh, Verse 7 through 11, he talked about patience and endurance. We broke down the words of patience, long-suffering, having to do with us being patient with people patience with people is a fruit of the spirit it's not something we can do on our own we can do it we can hold up that facade of oh i'm being patient but eventually if we get squeezed enough that patience will show out to be what it really is and that's just holding back the tea kettle and all of a sudden the pressure gets raised high enough and we start screaming at them we lose it and so in the spirit we can be patient with people because we recognize that god himself has been patient with us we do it out of gratitude to God, not because the person or the people deserve it. So he talked about patience, but he also talked about endurance. And endurance has more to do with patience under circumstances. And if you know, if you've lived more than a year, you know that you need patience with circumstances because circumstances, we can't control them as much as we would like to try. And so what one of the, the devotional thoughts that I had from that section was just the fact that in the life of a believer, impatience is actually a foothold that Satan can use to completely derail things. Um, think about it. Uh, God was going to give to his son Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth to be lord over. He was going to be the, he's the king of kings, and he is the lord of lords. And yet at his temptation in the wilderness, what did Satan offer him? He said, come to this high mountain. He looked over all creation. He said, all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you if you just bow down to me. And Jesus (laughs) said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what scripture says. And on top of that, he knew that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So wanting to be ruler over all these kingdoms is not a bad thing. It's actually something God's Given to him the right to rule and reign. And yet, if he gets impatient and wants it before its time, he ends up bowing down to Satan. And so, impatience in the life of a believer is a very dangerous tool for the kingdom of God. It's a dangerous tool for us. If we're impatient, if we're not willing to wait for God's timing, Satan's going to use that. He's going to use it as a a way to get a hold of your heart and cause you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. So we need to be careful about that. So we ended last week in verse 11. So in verse 12, he says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment." So words are important, right? And we're apt to make promises. We're apt to make oaths. I'm going to do this. Now we've already read in the book of James, he says, basically, Lord willing, don't say I'm going to go buy and sell and trade. And then in a year, I'm going to go and do this because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen today. A lot can happen in that time. So instead of making these big long-term plans, he says, Lord willing, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Basically making a disclaimer, if the Lord wills, then my life's going to look like this. But if not, that's okay too. I trust him. But for us as believers, um, sometimes we have a tendency, maybe even as non-believers, maybe this is something that's carried over from your previous life, where you, instead of saying, yes, I'd like to go do that, or yes, I'll go do that with you, or yes, I'll help you with that, or no, I absolutely won't. He says, "We start swearing." Now, it's not the type of swearing we think. It's, it's swearing like, "Well, I swear on my mother's grave. I really mean it." And what are you doing when you say that? You're saying, "I really, really, really mean it." Well, what does that matter? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter five, verse 33, because again, the book of James is the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking what Jesus taught. And he's applying it and teaching it to the New Testament church. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus said basically the same thing. Verse 33, he says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so what they were doing is they would make a promise. I promise to do this. But in order to be religious, they would say, well, I'm not going to swear by God because I could risk being a blasphemer, basically calling him to be your guarantee of your promise. But instead of saying that, they would say, well, I swear by the temple, or I swear by Jerusalem, which is God's, or I swear by the other thing that he mentioned. But the reality is, is those are all his anyway. So you're still swearing by God. And the reality is, is if your words mean what they say they do, You don't have to swear by anything. People, you know, if you've gotten to a spot in your life where you have to, well, I swear on my mother's grave, it's possible that you might be a habitual liar. It's possible that you're somebody that people, we may not say, I swear on my mother's grave. We may not say, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Used to be one Bible. Now we swear on a stack. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's kind of what people say. But here's the deal we'll say, seriously, though. Or we'll say, honestly, or I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> well, good. I was hoping you never would. <laughs> but honestly, you know, and it's like, oh, was everything before that a big fat lie. I don't know what to believe anymore. So we, as believers, we trust in a living God. We trust in a God who has made promises. And if his promises never change. If he says something and he means it, then we as his followers should ha- take on that same character. Our words should mean something. So if we say we're going to do something, now there are circumstances where we've overpromised. I get that, and we're going to have that. There's grace. But we should lay down a pattern of good works of fulfilling what we said we will do so that when we tell people, we don't have to say I swear or honestly, or any of those things, we can actually just say, I'll be there, and then be there. And I've heard this said so many times, what did we do before cell phones? Now we like texting when we're leaving. Almost there, we're leaving now. You know. And before, my wife always says, uh, we would just call them and be like, yeah, we'll do that. And then we would just keep the appointment, even though it's two weeks later, even though something else better might have come up. We just stick with it. And so living honestly before the Lord uh, causes us to live honestly before others. So let your words mean something. Let your what you say you're gonna do match up with what you do. So then he moves on to a next section talking through about prayer. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? And so, we've already talked about how our words matter, but then he starts to talk about how our lives matter. And I think there's this um, idea in the church that one of the things you need to do when you come to church is you need to come on the weeks only where you got everything together. And whether or not you subscribe to that, there's also a lie perpetuated that if I come to church and everything's not together, and I'm kind of feeling... Outside of myself and out of control, and my life isn't what I would like it to be. Ideally, then I need to at least act like it is, act like everything's fine. The problem with that is that we rob ourselves of opportunities to be ministered to in ways that nobody would ever know. One of the problems with shame is what happened in the garden of, of uh, in the garden early on in Genesis. Was that after they had rejected God's command, don't eat from this one tree? What did they do? They ate from the tree, and then when God comes calling for them, they used to walk with God literally in the cool of the morning. And the first thing that they lost when they ate from the tree, even though they weren't supposed to, was they were ashamed. They realized they were naked, and so they did what we would do when we're ashamed and we realize we're naked. They hid. They hid from God. And in some ways, if there were other people around, I guarantee they would have hid from each other. Because nobody likes to let their brokenness be seen. Nobody likes to let people see their flaws. That's why we got cameras on our phones with filters, right? We filter out the things that people don't want. We don't want people to see about us. And the reality is. We do that with our lives whether or not our technology will do it. We let people see exactly what we want them to see. But the problem is is that our brokenness is actually a tool that God uses to reveal his glory. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul talks about this idea that we are cracked vessels. And cracked vessels full of light through those cracks the light shines through. And if we don't let our cracks be shown and we keep jamming stucco on the outside of ourselves and acting like everything's fine, not only are we robbed of getting to be ministered to by other people that are broken, but also God's robbed of the glory that he desires to show through you. In my weaknesses, God is actually glorified. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Do you live like that? I'll confess to you first, I don't when I'm not feeling like my A game is pushing through, my tendency is to stay at the house, to stay away from people, to act like everything's fine, and it's not. So when you get together and when you're around other people, instead of acting like everything, hey, how's it going? We're real quick to give our pat answer. I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's, you know, but what he says here. Is anyone among you suffering? Another word there is afflicted. Then let him pray. When we're afflicted, we have this tendency to go to our happy place, to flip on the Netflix, to get on my phone and scroll through Facebook, whatever you might do to comfort yourself. We do everything except the one thing that will help. Pray. When you're afflicted, pray. Here's the deal. Sometimes God wants us to pray that we might be healed by him and he'll heal us. He has that power. But in the case where he says no, we need to be praying for the grace to be afflicted and be okay with it, to let God work out the thing he's trying to work out in our lives. We, were, we talked about Job last week. Job is the greatest picture of suffering in the Old Testament, and what we find is that in his affliction, God met with him and revealed some weaknesses that he was trying to work out and actually work through. And so, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. But then he says, is is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now, I joked a couple weeks ago about there are some of you that don't need to sing as much. But the reality is, we all need to make melody to the Lord in our hearts. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing psalms. And I've been reading this book. Uh, Chris Tomlin wrote it with Darren Whited, but it's called Holy Roar. If you get a chance, read it. It's about this thick, but it literally takes about 25 minutes to read the whole thing. But if you read it as a devotional, he talks about the different words that we have in our English language that are all translated to our word praise. But in those words are different words of praise. Some of them are praise, lift up holy hands, some of them are praise of confession before the Lord, A, and being honest with him, and some of them are actually praising him for things he's promised to do that haven't yet been fulfilled. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for something that you long for to see him do that he's not done yet, but he's promised he will? Promising the, the things that God's promised to do and to praise him even though they're not done yet, that takes faith. And so um, if, if you're cheerful, don't feel bad that other people are suffering, but praise. If you're suffering, don't, feel, you know, don't, don't look at other people that have it going smoothly right now and go, oh, and be bitter, but instead say, Lord, help me. Help me see what you're doing. Heal me, please. So then he says, is anyone among you sick? Now for me, you might be able to tell from my voice this morning, I've had a sinus infection. Now, some of it's my own fault. This last week, my wife was gone for three days, and therefore I was going, going, going. Y- you guys know, like you're more likely to hurt yourself just by going and not sitting at the house a little bit. We need rest. Um, but I went and I went and I went. I built a deck on the back of the house, helped my dad fix the driveway Friday night, and I was working, and that hung out with a bunch of people. I was just living it up like I was 20 years ago, feeling like I was pretty froggy. And then Thursday night comes around, and I'm hurting. I'm worn out. My, my sinuses are all jacked up. Apparently, the mold counts at like 50 billion or whatever. That's probably not the real number. And, and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm feeling pretty bad. Of course, then we had Wednesday morning at 5 a.m., so I'm, I'm not taking good rest. <coughs> Excuse me but that said, my body's weak. And so I'm sick. And so um, I'm getting ready to come up to the church yesterday and finish preparing for today. And, and I thought, you silly, you're teaching something that God wants you to learn. So I texted Steve and I said, hey, you're one of the elders of the church. Will you come to my house and pray for me? So he did. He happened to be in cell signal. God knew. And uh, I could have called his house if I didn't get a response, but he came over he anointed my head with oil, and he prayed over me. Now, did I get automatically better? No. But I got somebody else to bear my burden with me. And I want to. And as he was praying over me, he took that sweet-smelling jasmine oil I got from Israel. Now, it doesn't matter what kind of oil. You know, my pastor was sick one time, and they, nobody thought to bring oil. All they had was like blackberry oil or something. And they got it out. Of course, it stains everything, and they put it on his head. They prayed over him just taking a step of faith and doing something that makes no sense. Obviously, we want to go to the doctor. Obviously, we want to take medicine. But shouldn't it be more obvious in the life of a believer that we ask the Lord to intervene in this situation, to get believers to intercede on our behalf? So as he laid his hand on my head and prayed over me, I thought, I know what I need to be saying tomorrow. You guys are part of this body, and if you are sick, We are here for the sole purpose of ministering to you, for being the touch point. We are not God. We're not any closer to God than you can be. But in our particular roles, our job, our joy, is to see you grow in faith and to see you exercise that faith. And sometimes it's a quick text message. Can you come to my house and pray for me? And you know what? I will drop everything. My wife will applaud it. She doesn't mind. We're not too busy to minister at a spiritual level that will help you grow in your faith. Sometimes God is going to heal you, and you will be like, oh my goodness, that just happened. And sometimes he's going to give you the grace to press on, even though you still feel sick. But don't rob yourself of that opportunity to exercise faith in the one who can do something about it. I, I was almost robbed. And I just texted him, and he showed up, he prayed over me, I wasn't instantly better, but I am 100 percent better than I was yesterday. I laid in the chair literally all day yesterday, thinking, i got to get somebody to teach for me." Now, I can't sing this morning, and some of you, that's an answer to prayer. My wife's did all the singing. But the reality is, God will give us everything that we need to do what He's called us to do. And so in this, please, 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 don't rob this body of Christ of an opportunity to bear a burden with you if you're sick, if you're suffering. I mean, Laura Lynn and I got to know each other so much better through her breaking her arm. And it was because she was willing to reach out and go, I broke my arm. And when I hear Dave weeping over his wife because she broke her arm, I know it's bad because Dave doesn't cry. He doesn't. So the reality is God meets with us in a way in our suffering unlike any other way that we experience in life. We grow more through suffering, through pain, through bearing one another's burdens than we ever will comfortably. And I hate to say that because I don't want anyone here to suffer. But if you are, please allow us to be a part of that. We're not going to nose in any more than you'll let us, because the reality is we know what that's like. We don't like anybody to see our brokenness either, but that's God's design for the church. Come here on a Sunday morning when you're jacked up, when all everything in your life is not what you want it to be, and just be who you are. My favorite people in the body of Christ are the ones that are just real. And, and to some people, they're, they're like, wow, that person's really brash, or that person's really hard to deal with. And I'm like, but they're real. Stop acting like you got it all together. We know you don't. Every one of us knows each other well enough to know better than that. Be okay with that yourself. God is. He's not ashamed of you. He died for you. But notice this. He says, uh, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. Look at this. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if, this is a big if, If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Not all sickness is because of sin, but some is. And that caused me to question that this week in my own personal life. Was I neglecting the thing that mattered more to do my little projects? And so I I had to spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, am I sick because of my own stupidity? My own sin? But what it says here is if you're sick and you don't know, ask for prayer. The prayer for the sick will save the sick, deliver them, and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Trespasses are sins that you've committed and you knew better. Trespasses are breaking the law of God. In Christ, We can be forgiven. In Christ, we still have to confess. Now, do we have to confess to a priest? Nah. We have a great high priest. We studied that in Hebrews. We don't need a confessional. We don't need a place for you to confess to another man. But the reality is there is power in confession. How do I know that? I know it personally. The times where I've dealt with things that I had not been willing to deal with. I went to a brother or a sister in Christ that I could trust. And I asked them to listen to my confession and to pray with me that God would change my heart. And there was power in that because there was accountability. That person later, not holding it against me, came to me and said, hey, how's it going? And it wasn't a judgmental thing. It was something where they were able to go, hey, I know you have this weakness. You've shared it with me. How's that going? There's accountability. So that we're not continually caught in this sin cycle but again, we rob ourselves of that accountability if we just hold it to ourselves and never tell anybody. We're robbed. And so he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then he says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, just last night, later when Lucy gets older, I won't share these stories without asking her, but she's five. Perfect example. Lucy's done something. She lied to her mom. That's one of the simple Ten Commandments, right? But she's confessed that she wants to follow Jesus, and so we're holding her accountable to that confession. And so we're not beating her down with it. We're letting her know, like, you've broken the law. The law was meant to bring you to Christ. This is an opportunity for you to confess it and ask Jesus to cleanse you and heal you. 1 John 1.9 says, if any man's caught in a trespass, Let him confess his trespass to the Lord, and the Lord is righteous and just to cleanse us and and make us clean again, to forgive us and to cleanse us of that trespass. So here she is. She's emotional. She's five, and she's lied, and she's crying. Of course, there's, there's two different kinds of sorrow over sin. There's the sorrow that leads to repentance, which is the only one that does you any good, and then there's the sorrow Paul talks about that just makes you sad that you got caught. So sorting through that with a five-year-old is very difficult, and we can't. We don't know her heart. So we told her, you need to ask the Lord. You asked us to forgive you, and we did, but you need to make it right with the Lord, because really that sins against Him. And so we were trying to lead her through confession and, and just making that a habit in her life, and she just couldn't do it. You know, just even at five years old, there's so much pride, and she's not acting like everything's fine, but she's also saying, knowing that you messed up is one thing, but saying it out loud, man, that, that kind of digs deep, and so she was fighting it, you know, fighting it, and then I always call confession, like, uh, and forgive me, uh, it's, it's like vomiting. <laughs> you know you're going to feel better after you do it. But we all lay in bed going, oh, but if I just lay here and I won't throw up, I'll feel better about it. But then when you do, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Everybody hates throwing up, but it's what gets rid of the junk that's inside of you. Confession is like throwing up. It's hard to do, and it's hard to just let it all go because nobody wants that. It's the worst thing ever. As a matter of fact, I remember sleeping, and I won't go anymore, I'll stop there. Just laying in bed going, oh, I don't want to, oh, no, maybe I can avoid it. And it's just, you think that you'll feel better if you don't, but you don't. So when I asked Kelly after she came back downstairs, she goes, I go, how did it go? And she goes, she finally did. And then she, in her sobbing tears and just, that's just hard, mom. And it is, but it's so good. It brings us back to the level that we actually are at. We're not good enough we're not strong enough. We're going to mess up. Jesus came to save sinners, not those who think they're righteous. And so we as believers still need to practice confession. And one of the ways that we do that is we confess to one another. And then instead of talking about it to others, we need to pray for one another. Don't become rumor mongers that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see the story of, of the nation of Israel getting ready to be judged. And Elijah is told by the Lord, you need to go tell King Ahab, whose wife was Jezebel. You know, nobody names their kids Jezebel that I know of. I say that there's probably somebody in one of your families that named their kid Jezebel. But most people don't name their kids Jezebel or Ahab because it's just Ahab was. Scripture says clearly he was one of the most ungodly kings in all of Israel. But what happened is God was judging the nation, and so He told Elijah, "You need to go tell Ahab that it's not going to rain for three and a half years." So Elijah prays, and then he tells Ahab, "It's not going to. There's going to be a famine in the land, and it's not like us where we can just import fruits and vegetables and grain from other places." Uh, they're in a nation that they're dependent upon the agriculture, and so they have this famine in the land for three and a half years. But what you often don't think about with Elijah is he was a man just like you and i he There was no superpowers he he trusted God, he did what God told him to do, and because of that, he controlled the weather. Now, I say that I was listening to Chuck Smith, who was the founder of the Calvary Chapel ministry. And, uh, in the seventies, they had these youth camps they would go to. And one night they were going to have this, what they called victory circle service. And he said, you know, a lot of people laugh at me, but sometimes the Lord just says, Hey, pray this and I'm going to do it. And he said, uh, we were going to have victory circle, but it was supposed to be outside and it was pouring rain. So they made the announcement during dinnertime after this is going to be the victory circle. We're all going to praise the Lord outside. And he go, and somebody was like, it's pouring he said, "Yeah, I know, but I've asked the Lord to please stop the rain for victory service time and then afterwards we'll come back inside." So 5 minutes till whatever time it was supposed to be, it stopped raining. They all went out and did victory circle and at 5 minutes after 7 or whenever it was supposed to end, it it started raining again. And he said uh, and one of the kids was messing with him and goes, well, "I thought you said it was going to be just for an hour that that it wasn't going to rain and he said, well, the Lord apparently knew in his wisdom that it was going to take some of you longer to get back inside. So, you know, I, now I've never had that happen in my life, but I've heard other people say the same thing, that we we serve the God who affects the weather and changes it. And if he makes it rain on a day where you were plan, planning to mow the grass, recognize that he wanted you to do something else. He's powerful. And so he says there um, that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so we serve this God, and the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so if you want a reason to grow closer to the Lord and grow in holiness, that's not legalism. God wants you to be like him. He wants you to be holy, not just for yourself, but also that your prayers won't be hindered. Did you know that our prayers are hindered when we have unconfessed sin in our life? We actually kink the hose of God's glory when we don't let God cleanse us internally and externally. So last section, verse 19, he says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, I have for you, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Peter picks up, and it's like one page over in my Bible. It might be more in yours, but it's the next book over. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Interesting, because we just read in James where he says, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So in both cases, he's talking about love. But I think, unfortunately, we get one extreme or the other when people are talking about love in the church. There's this movement now that says, you just got to love people, and then they'll turn from their error. And, and I believe that to be patently true. But what is love? What is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Sorry. Come on. You had a song pop in your head when I said, what is love? I saw Trinity smile. She had something. But, but the reality is love doesn't look like the world is talking about. Love, in this case, uh, corrects those who are in error. Somebody who's wandered from the truth. Now, a lot of people will say love doesn't judge. And I get what they're saying. Love doesn't find somebody's fault and go, hey, you got this wrong and like beat them down with the Bible. But the other side of it is, love doesn't allow people to continue in their sin. Love corrects. Love shows them the error of their way, whether or not they're willing to receive the truth. And the reality is, in the Christian church, I think one of the reasons that we're anemic, we're unhealthy, is because no one's correcting anybody. Now, first and foremost, we've got to build relationships with people to have the right to correct them. I've heard it talked about like a, a bank account. You have to make some deposits into this bank account of love before you can make a withdrawal. For every 10, maybe 10 deposits, you can only make one withdrawal because those withdrawals seem to be taking more out of the person than all those 10 deposits. You need to lay down a, a faithfulness and a love for that person that shows them that you care. And then once in a while, if you've got to correct them in some way, they'll be more likely to receive it. Doesn't mean they will. Trust me, as a pastor, I push more people away by calling something out one-on-one than anything else, because we don't, we're Americans. You can't tell us anything. Hey, I'm an American. I get to do what I do, and no one gets to tell me otherwise. But first, you're a Christian, and if you won't be corrected by somebody that's in the body of Christ, I would question whether or not you would let God correct you. And that's a reality that we have to deal with. God corrects those that he loves, just like a parent corrects their children because they love them. If you're a child of someone and they don't correct you, I would imply that maybe they don't love you. Because love corrects. Love chastises for the benefit of the one that they're, they're chastising. And so he says here, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone loves them enough to turn them back from their ways, let him know that that person who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And many times when I've been through my yearly reading and I get to those verses, they're automatically people that come up in my mind that God used, and I text them right then. Hey, just reading uh, James chapter 5, verse whatever, Uh, thank you for being this person in my life because they've saved me from a multitude of sins. They've saved my family from dealing with the consequences of those multitude of sins. Someone that was willing to say, hey, this thing you're doing, it's it's destructive. It's going to lead to fruit of death in your life. So turn with me to Luke chapter 15, because not only does this apply... To the life of a believer, because remember, he's talking to believers here, but it also applies to those in our lives that are not believers. Now, as you're turning there, I want to tell you I was very grieved this week. I had a friend from high school that is living a particular lifestyle and made a big announcement on Facebook and uh, basically um, announced this exciting thing going on in their lives. I'm, I'm trying not to be too specific but it's sin is what it is. Bible calls it sin. And I cannot tell you how surprised I was at all the people that I know that basically were like high five and I'm like, "We're so happy for you. We're we're so excited for you. This is going to be great." There wasn't one iota of basically saying, "I can't believe this is what's going on." Because we affirm everything. That's why there's not a dislike button on Facebook. We affirm, there's a sad face, you know, there's a sad emoticon. But for the most part, we don't comment on anything unless we can call it affirmative, like, sweet, this is great. But the reality is, is that um, we as believers are going to be against certain things, and it's okay. Now, is Facebook the platform for that? Probably not. If you don't know the person personally, I wouldn't, you know, go digging into it a whole lot. But There are some cases where we have people that we are close to where we do have the opportunity to speak into their lives. Don't don't avoid it. Let God speak through you. But in Luke chapter 15, he says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when it comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who don't, do not need to repent. And then he gives two more examples. He gives the lost sheep. He gives this parable of a lost coin, and he gives this parable of the lost son, which we call the prodigal son. But the idea being that we can, as believers, wander from the truth, but in the world... We look at the people that don't know Jesus and we kind of look at them as people that have just rejected the truth. But the wandering sheep in the world are also the people that God created in his image. Did you know that God created the most ungodly people in your life? He created them in his image. And he made them to bring glory to himself through them. Think of the people that you can't stand. Think of the people that you probably wouldn't share the gospel with. Maybe for you, it's uh, someone that, heaven forbid, is a liberal. Maybe for you, it's someone that was involved in the terrorist attack of 9-11. Maybe for you, it's somebody else, but I'm using extreme cases. But the reality is, if one of those men got saved, there would be rejoicing in heaven whether or not you agree with their politics. And I think of one example, I got to meet him. His name's Tass Saada. And he was a hitman for now I'm drawing a blank Yasir Arafat back in the '90s. He was on the Jordan side, and he was shooting. He, his primary goal was to kill the Jew and the Christian. And I cannot remember his whole story, but I've got his book in my office, if you want to read it. At some point, he heard the gospel received Jesus as his Lord. He moved to the United States, became a businessman. People shared Jesus with him. He got saved, and he stopped wanting to kill Christians and Jews. All it took was one person willing to share the gospel with a man that they could have rejected and hated. But he, killing Christians and Jews, God forgave him. And so I don't know who it would be for you, but we are all, and were at one point, lost sheep. We were the lost coin. We were the lost son. But in verse 19, he says, if anyone wanders from the truth. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews there says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard lest we drift away from the truth. The truth is the word of God. The word of God is the one thing that does not change, and it's the one thing that corrects us when we're in error. And so I don't know. um, There's lots of things we covered this morning. There's prayer. There's the the words of our mouths, our yes being yes and our no being no. There's confession. We talked about confession. We talked about uh, the willingness to correct and the willingness to be corrected. Wandering from the truth. James spends much time making much of prayer. The fact that we have access to the God of creation who affects the weather even. And so I guess this morning, uh, all of this is made possible because of what Jesus did for us. So as we get ready to take communion this morning, I want to encourage you guys. Spend time.